0: May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Mrs. Johnson, good news. The operation was a complete success. Everything went exactly as planned. Or perhaps there were a few complications, but nothing we couldn't handle Everything is great. I expect a complete recovery. This is what you want to hear from the person in the white lab coat in the waiting room. This is, unless, you don't have to be Mrs. Johnson to want to hear this, right? you got to have this. This is what you want. To, these are words that you were sitting on edge waiting to hear, and there are no better words than these. I've been a clergyman for over two decades now, and um, I cannot tell you how many times I've been in that waiting room with that family, waiting to hear those exact words. I've heard them scores of times. In fact, I've heard them so many times, call me cynical, but I sometimes wonder if they're holding back, a little, you know, at least a little bit. That maybe the physician, if, if she or he were completely honest, would say, all right, the operation was assessed, but the truth is I cut my finger with a scalpel halfway through and we had to stop and stitch me up, you know. I mean some that probably happened then nobody's gonna tell you. Or we had been done an hour ago, but we couldn't account for one sponge and then you know, we looked over and there it was stuck on Sandy's arm and we were all laughing, it was hilarious. I guess you have to be there. Uh, you know, that, that that had to have happened, right? That's had to have happened. But you don't want to hear about it. This is not the word that you want to hear. You've been sitting in this uncomfortable chair, drinking coffee that tastes like pine tar, trying to have your mind on anything other than what's going on. You're waiting for that person to come out in the scrubs or the white lab coat and say, everything went swimmingly. It was wonderful, it was perfect, nothing to worry about, an hour or two in recovery and then you can see them. And when that happens, if you're that person waiting There is almost like a a literal weight that comes off of your shoulders, and you can really feel that you take in this breath, and it's like I haven't taken a breath for, you know, an hour or whatever. Just simple little words, and they bring such great comfort. Little words that can change the way you feel. Sometimes it works the opposite way, too, doesn't it? Sometimes you get words that are somewhat disturbing. A mild example, a a trivial one, a simple one. You're watching your favorite football team play, and they're behind. It's in the playoffs, and they get to the end, and they score. And the guys throw their hands up the go-ahead score. We're going to win the game. We're going to the playoffs or whatever. And everybody's happy. And then you notice this little yellow piece of laundry laying on the – and the the referee says, holding. And you think, no, it can't be. You could call holding on any play. And you wait for this one. And there it is. I guess we'll get them next year. Um, And that's what you say. Or maybe a little bit more serious. You know, your car is making a – a terrible sound, you know. It's that clunk kind of sound, and you know that that's not right. And so you take it to the trusted mechanic, and it's there all day. And and you go, and a friend drops you off, and and you go there, and and the mechanic comes out, and he's wiping his hands with with a towel, and he says, "I got bad news. It's your flux capacitor." <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, "Do I need a flux capacitor?" And he's like, "You do. You definitely do. Thirteen hundred dollars." And you think to yourself, oh, my, I either can have a reliable car or I can have a vacation, but I can't have both of them, you know. And you have that moment right there where these words are heavy. And you know it gets worse, too, don't you? You go into the physician's office and they say words like leukemia or kidney failure or diabetes or cancer. And those words become a heavy, heavy weight. Words you, you didn't want to hear, and you thought you would never hear, and you hope you'd never hear, and then you do. And it's it's a word you just want to turn off and wish that you could unhear. Jesus goes into Jerusalem. It's it's um it's really close to the time where he's about to be betrayed, tried, crucified. He knows this is coming in, and he's been in this dispute with these religious leaders. It's been very contentious and hostile for some time, back and forth, between different sects of religious leaders. And this isn't in your your bulletin in the lesson today, in the gospel lesson, but at the very end of chapter 20, Jesus says this to his friends. He says, beware of the scribes. The scribes are the biblical scholars of his day. They're the university professors. These are the people who who have a real um, grasp of the. their whole lives are given to the study of the Bible. Beware of these people who like to walk around in long robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquet. They devour widows' houses. And for the sake of appearance to say long prayers, they will receive greater condemnation. They devour widows' houses. They're supposed to be these, these great scholars of the Bible. And what are they? They're people who would take advantage of the most vulnerable people in society. They're charlatans. They're frauds. They're not true. Imagine if you were a scribe and you heard Jesus say this about you how how inflamed you would feel and they are they're inflammatory words aren't they and so someone has the good sense to change the conversation right this has been getting too hot and heated and this is where your lesson the the lesson in the in the bulletin picks up in verse five some were speaking about the temple how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to god I, this is beware of these biblical scholars, they're charlatans, they're frauds. And somebody says, Oh, what a beautiful building this is, right? But it's like total, the wallpaper is just so lovely. You know, it's a change the conversation, go in a different direction. But Jesus doesn't take it. He doesn't take the bait. He instead turns these people who are there, common people, fishermen and carpenters, wives and mothers and grandmothers, and regular ordinary workaday people And he begins to predict the future. He begins to tell things that are going to happen. Not like the woman in the red bandana with the crystal ball, but a different kind of telling the future. You know, he's he's going to tell them prophetically what's going to happen in a very short order. Verse 6, as for these things, that is the temple and all the beauty that you see, these will be torn down. The days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. If you were a Jew living at the time of Jesus and you heard him say this, this would strike a chord with you because this has happened before. The temple that they were looking at and marveling was the second temple. It, the first one had been built by Solomon, was torn down by the Babylonians about 600 years before. And now Jesus is saying it's going to happen again. And it gets, you know, in their mind, it can only mean one thing war. Bloody, violent, scorched earth war is coming to Jerusalem. And that's not something that anybody wants to hear. He goes on, verse 11, there will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. Not only human chaos, but now we're going to have cosmic chaos. Earthquakes and signs of uh, of destruction coming around everywhere. Life is going to get difficult at best, impossible at worst. And still there's more. He saved the best for last. Verse uh, Verse 12, before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. And then verse 16, you will be betrayed even by parents and siblings, by relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. Now, doesn't this sound nice? This sort of thing you put on the inside of a Christmas card, isn't it? You know, the world's going to be chaos. There any war? There any signs of, of, of destruction all over the earth? And then guess what? They're going to come after you. Not just the government, but family and friends will even turn on you. After Jesus's death, resurrection, and ascension, at the year 70 A.D., these things started to take place. Actually, before that, but by 70 A.D., the Romans sacked the city of Jerusalem. They laid waste to it, and they tore the temple down to the ground. To this day, the only thing that remains of the temple was an outside wall called now the Western Wall. And if you go to Jerusalem and you go at this very moment, 24 hours a day, there will be people standing there praying, praying that God would restore that temple that was torn down. They're probably praying for much more than that, but but that's a, a big part of what's going on. The only remembrance is that leftover wall. I was sitting in Jerusalem at a little cafe and having some lunch. And there's this big stone right in the middle of the cafe, like it kind of jutting up out of the ground. And the guy who owns it says to me, do you know what that's from? I said, I have no idea. He said the Romans stuck that in the ground in 70 AD as a reminder of what they did to the city. We laid waste to the city. It's completely gone. The question that would plague me as I read through this, and and perhaps you, is why in the world does Jesus tell his friends this stuff? I mean, why does he say all these things? I mean, perhaps he's saying it to frighten them, but I don't think that's right. And perhaps he's saying it to legitimize his own words, you know, remember what I told you later. But I don't think that's it either. I think he tells them these things so that they can be prepared, because it's going to happen. Like a physician who gives news to somebody that doesn't want to hear it but needs to hear it, this is the truth. But there is a seeming contradiction. Listen to this. Verse 16, you'll be betrayed by parents and siblings, by relatives and friends, and some of them that will put you to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name. Verse 18, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls, your lives. So wait, wait. Are we going to die or not? <laughs> is there going to be war or not? This seems like... Why Why are you saying that we won't have to worry that, that not a hair on our head will perish? Because even if you die, there is a fate worse than death. And that fate will not touch you. There is something worse than death. And there is some reward... There is a great reward for those who are faithful who will stay in and will say we will live through this whatever comes our way because there is a life yet to come. Jesus' words to his friends were a dire prediction one that nobody wanted to hear and it was that life could get very rough for them. And I'm here to tell you today that that remains true for you and me. Being a Christian does not Give us any sort of protection against the difficulties of life. In fact, if anything, there might be extras that come our way simply because of that. Sometimes down through the ages, it has been popular to be a Christian. Some places in the world, it's it's, it's been uh, people's benefit to uh, be a Christian. And sometimes of a particular sort of Christian was better than being a different sort of Christian. There are places in the world right now where following Christ could cost you your life. And there are people that are serving the Lord in places just like this. And it might be that you and I could wear a cross around our neck, on our lapel, on our shirt, blouse. And people will praise us and say, oh, that's lovely. But it might come about that we put that cross on and it puts us in peril that identifying with Christ might be something that causes difficulty. St. Paul says this, All who dare to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. So what about us? What if somebody turned us over to the government? Or what if it cost us money to follow Christ? Or what if it cost us friends? You know, we weren't... You know, invited into certain social circles because of that. Or what if it cost intellectual credibility? You don't really believe that stuff, do you? <coughs> Jesus says that his followers should expect difficult days. We're not always going to be popular. It's not always going to be easy. But for those who will take this chance... Who will say, no matter what, I identify with Christ. I identify with Him today and tomorrow and the next day. I will not turn around, no matter how difficult, no matter what comes my way. For those people, our great physician has a word for us. There will come a time in the future when he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. And now there is no more cause for concern. All will be well here, and forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.